Welcome to an exegetical study of biblical scripture. This scripture is God's speech, God's story, written through the hands of men by his spirit, and it's all about God's glory. My name is Bryce Ferguson. Join me now as we go into the word. This is Genesis. How do we define the legacy of our life? How do we define ourselves day by day as living creatures, but not just creatures, people made in the image and the likeness of God to either image God or image ourselves in this world? The world pushes so hard, so hard over and over and over again that you define your own truth that you're to make much of yourself in this world, that you are to be defined by, essentially, you. That you define yourself, that truth is fleeting or truth is irrelevant or truth may have existed at some point, but it doesn't exist anymore. Therefore, there is no mooring. There is no anchor in the ocean of this world. But there's nothing tying us down. So therefore, make much of yourself. And that flies in utter opposition to the Lord God of all created things, who does not change like shifting shadows, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God's great story is being written every single day. And this day, this day, today, is just as important as yesterday. It's just as important as this day 100 years ago, a thousand years ago. Because each day is a living testimony of God working and God being active and God being proactive and God being intentional and God being purposeful. And God is carrying out his will on this world. So the question is, will we join him in that? And will we emulate God? And will we glorify God? Let's open in prayer and then we'll be in Genesis chapter 13 today. Dear Lord God, the loving one, the creator one, the one, Lord over all things, the one who created so much beauty in this world to testify to us, to who you are. It testifies, it lives and it breathes and it proclaims the glories of our God, the skies above, the waters below, the mountains in the distance the valleys and the plains and the deserts and the tiny creatures and the large creatures, everything in this world which God has created testifies to who you are. And may we worship you in that. May we worship a God 
so amazing and so far beyond our comprehension in that. May we embrace who you have created us to be, who you've called us to be, who you have commanded us to be. May you be our greatest love now and forevermore. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, the Savior. Amen. Last week, we talked about Abram and Sarai as they journeyed in Egypt. And Abram was not shy in providing a half-truth to the Egyptians because he feared them. So he deceived them, and so did Sarai. And this was not godly. This was not right. This was not righteous. This was not of godly character. This is not how God's mind works or his heart loves or acts. No, Abram and Sarai, like all of us, fell short of the glory of God. There is no distinction. For all have fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. So Abram, chapter 13, verse 1, went up from Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had. And Lot, his nephew, went with him into the Negev. Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold, and he journeyed on from the Negev as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he had made an altar at the first. And there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. See, he remembered. He remembered and he wanted to worship God again in this place. And Lot, who went with Abram, also had flocks and herds and tents, so that the land could not support both of them dwelling together. There were limited resources, is what that tells me. For their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together, and there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. At that time, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were dwelling in the land. The scripture puts down these markers. Before we read that the Canaanites were in the land, they journeyed forward, and it marks again. In this area, the Canaanites and the Perizzites were in the land. Verse 8, Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. And if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right, or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw that the Jordan Valley was well watered everywhere, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt in the direction of Zoar. This was before the Lord had destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. So Lot chose for himself all the Jordan Valley, and Lot journeyed east. And thus they separated from each other. Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. The Lord said to Abram after Lot had separated from him, Lift up your eyes and look from the place where you are, northward and southward, eastward and westward, for all the land that you see I will give to you and to your offspring forever. I will make your offspring as the dust of the earth, so that if one can count the dust of the earth, your offspring also can be counted. 
In other words, they cannot be counted. There's so many. Arise, walk through the length and the breadth of the land, for I will give it to you. So Abram moved his tent and came and settled by the oaks of Mamre, which are at Hebron, and there he built an altar to the Lord. Again, Abram worships. He has an encounter from God, he hears from God, and he worships God. What we talked about here at the beginning of chapter 13, when he returned to the place where his tent had been between Bethel and Ai, to the place where he'd made an altar, there at the first, and there Abram called upon the name of the Lord. Calling upon the name of the Lord is worshiping God. Whether that's praying, or whether that's silently, or whether that's praying aloud, or whether that's singing to God, this is worshiping God. You're acknowledging God for who he really is. You're conversing with God and acknowledging him as not just someone you're talking to, but God, or the Lord, or the Savior. And here at the end, he does the same thing. Chapter, chapter 13 is bookended with worship. So Abram moved his tent and settled by the oaks of memory, which is in the wilderness, which are at Hebron. And there he built an altar to the Lord. Abram may have had sin and deception in the second half of Genesis 12, but here in Genesis 13, he is living a lifestyle of worship to God. He is fulfilling that which God has called him to do. He is listening to the voice of God. There's also consideration here for his family member, for his nephew, Lot. Who it seems that Abram was largely under, you know, took him under his wing to help care for him. And then Lot obviously had plenty of resources and family himself, did not need that so much anymore. And when family can be together in the same place and living together and worshiping God together, this is a good thing. And when they cannot be together, then they are to be on their own, worshiping God. But we are all called to worship. And we're all also called to leadership. What is leadership? I think it's stepping boldly into the role that God has given you. Boldly, with confidence. Because we are not to be timid when God has called us, when God has defined something for us, when God has set it forth. He keeps reiterating to Abram, this is what I am calling you to. Originally, he said, follow me. And Abram went. He didn't even know where he was going specifically yet. It's like Jesus calling the disciples on the, on the shore of the lake, the fishermen, and they left everything and followed him. He said, follow me, and they followed him. It's stepping boldly, boldly because we trust who God is. It's not about us. It's not about, can I, can I do this? Can I rally myself to the cause? Can I, can I lift myself up? Can I, in my own strength, do this? Because God is a God who chooses, he chooses the foolish things in the eyes of the world to shame the so-called wise of the world. 
He's often picking the downcast or the one on the outskirts or the one in the corner of the room. Because that is the one that God wants to use. Jesus came humbly to this earth as a servant, and he was born in a manger, in a farm, in a small town. There was no fanfare. There was no royal palace worthy of the king of kings. Because humility is required, yes. And also because when we step into this role of leadership that God has given, I believe, to each one of his children, we are doing it in faith that God will provide. That God will provide the resources, that God will provide the countenance, that God will provide the confidence because our confidence is in him. I don't have to have confidence in myself that Bryce can do it all. The Bryce can do any of it because the confidence is in the Lord of Lords. God, the creator of all things, wants to do something great, and he is doing something great today, just like he is, yeah, he did yesterday, and he will do tomorrow. Why? Because God is fully in control. God is fully sovereign, and God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So you can step boldly into the role that God has given you. You also need to speak truth. Truth seems so fleeting today. Truth seems like it's been missing for a while. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He never changes. So a true leader speaks the truth like God does. We, as good leaders, we also make decisions. This is God's call to his children, to make decisions. You have to make decisions in your own personal life. You have to make decisions in your work life. And I've known people who struggle with making decisions or they say they're very indecisive. Well, guess what? God wants you to make decisions. Example. Read your Bible. Read the printed word of God that we're so fortunate in this day to each have a copy of in our own homes. If we're given one or if we purchase one and they're not that expensive. And this is a huge blessing to the children, the people of God in this present day. But you have to choose to do that. That's a decision. Or prayer with God. That's a decision. You have to choose to do that. Sin. You have to choose not to do sinful things. You have to choose to be active with your body, with your mind. The Bible warns about idle hands. A little laying down to rest, a little slumber. It's very dangerous because it creates in the Christian laziness and apathy. And people who, are, who find that acceptable are not proactive about the kingdom of heaven. They're not proactive about the things of God. They don't believe fully. They've lost the fire that God chooses to do the great majority of his work on earth through the hands and the feet and the mouths of his children, Christians, those who bear his name, those who proclaim his name, those who proclaim his scripture, leaders 
proclaim God's scripture. They live, they strive to live by God's scripture, which is God's heart as well. A true leader seeks after God's heart, tries to have a heart that is like our Lord's. As God called, a true leader lives in a way as God called him or her to live. Let's go back to the start of chapter 12. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God calls each one of us to faith. God calls each one of us to follow him and to seek him. To have the character and the uprightness and the righteousness of God, not that we are God, but that we are to be mirror images, or images rather, mirroring people of the Father's love, of the Father's thinking, of the Father's mind, of the Father's heart, of the Father's character. We are to show this to the world. I may have said that a little weird a second ago. We are to mirror God's love to the world. God has called us to do that. God called Abram. He said, follow me, and Abram went. Now that's a sign of true leadership too. He was listening to his commander-in-chief. God set forth the call, and Abram responded. God wants us to respond. This is a sign of true leadership. A true leader knows that a true leader is, I say a true leader, a leader is under authority. God wants us to live in a humble mentality with leadership. The yes, he has called us to leadership, but we must do so humbly, knowing that there is someone greater above us at all times in authority, that we're accountable to God. So then that should drive our thoughts and drive our actions and drive our words that we speak because we are proclaiming the gospel, we're not proclaiming ourselves. We're living very differently from the world when we do that. The world is all about you, 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 or me, 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 me. God has called us out from the world to be holy, to be set apart. The God would be our God, and we would be his people. We see here in Genesis 13, disputes. Disputes, stress has arisen, there's a bug. Stress has arisen between Lot's family, his huge family and resources and Abram's family. So how do you deal with when you're living with family, which is probably kind of rare today because we're not uh, shepherds and and largely moving about sojourning with agriculture, but how do you deal with a situation that's stressful where families living together? 
Let's read this again. Does he lash out? Does Abram lash out or does he blame Lot or does he blame Lot's herdsmen because of the dispute? No, he doesn't say that. He says, let is the first word in the ESV. Let there be no strife between me and you. It's not an accusatory phrase. It's kind of a gentle phrase, actually. Let there be no strife between me and you, between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're family, for we're kinsmen. He takes a gentle, compassionate, loving tone of saying, the Lord has led us here. There is all this land. He has said he is going to give it to myself and to my descendants forever. And look at all this land. Let's not compete over the limited resources that we have. Let's spread out a little bit. After the flood, God again said, go into all the earth. To spread out into all the earth. So this is also obedient to that. And he's saying, hey, our families are getting bigger. Our, research, our, our resources are getting bigger. Our herds are getting bigger. And there's only so many resources right here. So let's spread out a little bit. Where do you want to go? That's the other thing. He gives Lot the consideration. He doesn't dictate to Lot as a leader, though he would think that he was a dictator or someone who could direct actions, which would also have been fine, by the way. But to his family member, Lot, he gives consideration and he asks him, where do you want to go? You go to the left or to the right. And these are huge areas, by the way. Lot ventured to the east, so this put him basically to the east side of the Dead Sea. And Abram ended up settling on the west side of the Dead Sea. It was a very large area. And Lot chose to go to the east. So Abram said, okay, I'll take the west. Let's go back a few other, uh, a few more chapters, actually back to chapter one again. And look at this. Because a leader acts as God commanded him. So what drives the thoughts? What drives the actions? What drives the attitudes or the speech of the Christian leader? Well, it should be this. Who are we to emulate? What is to drive our decision-making? God says in chapter 1, verse 26, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. And then he goes on to say, be fruitful, multiply. And that's not just numbers. That's not just replication. That's not just numbers of descendants. Be fruitful. To be fruitful is to obey God. If you love me, you will obey my commandments, God says. 
So this is to have the mindset of God. How, how do you think about image when you think about image? What does that word mean to you? An image is either a photograph, which is a representation of the original place or person or whatever the photograph is taken of. That time, that moment in time, that location, whatever it is, the photo is a representation of that. It's not the same. It's a representation. What else about image? What, what, what about likeness? What about after the likeness? Would it be to have similarities in appearance? Would it be to have similarities in personality? Would it be to have similar values, similar value set or similar speech in the way that you speak? The way that you carry yourself, the way that you make decisions over time? the way that you are consistent in your principles over time? Yeah, I think perhaps all of these could apply to Genesis 1, 26 and 27 and into 28. We are to be after God. We are to be as God in our thinking, in our speech, in our actions. Something else here with regard to leadership as God commanded. Remembrance. In chapter 9, starting at verse 13, this was after the flood, and God said to Noah and to his descendants, I have set my bow in the cloud, the rainbow, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh and the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth. No, I did not just reread the first sentence. Two times. Here in chapter 9, verses 13 through 17, God says the same thing to Noah a total of three times. He says it and then he repeats it twice. He does that, perhaps, I believe, for repetition. We know that anything rep repeated in the Bible, especially twice or for a total of three times, that it is said is because God is making a point. Now, God is making a covenant here with Noah and his descendants, but I also believe it's because God remembers. And God wants us to know that God remembers. God remembers 2,000 years ago. God remembers the flood where he said, never again, why send floodwaters over all the earth? This rainbow is a sign of the covenant between me and you, humans, and all the living creatures of all the earth. God made a covenant with the creatures because our God is a God who cares, who's intentional, who's purposeful, and who remembers. 
his covenants. Our God is a God whose love is so compelling and so compassionate and so merciful and so great. He is a commander in chief who not only leads well, but he is perfect. And this brings me to my last point of leadership is God's character. If you think about it in a, a military title example, God is absolutely the commander in chief. As we describe it in the United States, he is the highest level or the top position. And then in biblical delegation, he is called man to be a lower level leader. He said for them to have dominion. And he created Adam first. And then he took from Adam to create Eve. And Adam said that I will call her woman for she was taken out of man. Bible says that a man is to leave his father and his mother and to hold fast to his wife and there to become one flesh. And over and over and over again in scripture, even more, we just scratch the surface. The men are called to be servant leaders to their wives and to their children. And women, I believe, are also called to leadership just under the level of their husband. Not any man, just her husband. But we are all to emulate God's character, God's love, God's compassion, and God's confidence. I don't know that I've ever heard it expressed exactly that way before, that God is confident because God doesn't need to be confident because God leads so boldly. But perhaps those are the same thing, really, confidence and boldness. And we are to act with confidence because, again, our confidence is in the Lord, that the Lord will provide, that we are living in expectation, that we are living under God's power. That if we are to do anything good, it will be under God's power and God's resources and God's delegation, that it is a movement of the Holy Spirit in us. It's not us of our own. It is what God is doing. And God will do it. Because God can do it. And what I mean by that is he is going to provide for you to do that which he has called you to do. He's not just going to give you anything and everything that you may want at any given time. Because it's very likely he has not called you to all those things, but he may have called you to some of them. How are we to love others? God says in John 13, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. These are the words of Jesus. If you have love for one another. So especially so within the family of God, our leadership, our call to leadership, men and women alike, is that we better as leaders in whatever capacity that is. But I do believe God has called us all to leadership because a leader is one who speaks out the love of God 
who proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ, I would have to say that that person, every single person who does that, is a leader. And therefore, I believe that he has called us all to leadership. But let it be done in love. Because otherwise, it is lacking. Because otherwise, it is not as God has loved us. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Something else that Abram makes so clear here in chapter 13, and this verse came to mind from James, is that a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Abram had at the forethought of his mind, I do believe, peace among his family, among his very large family and Lot's very large family at this time, and their resources and their herdsmen. And therefore, peace was in his mind. He's saying peace among the family of God, peace among my own family. I'm going to do as much as I can to bring and culture an environment of peace. Because peacemakers who sow in peace will raise a harvest of righteousness. I first memorized it in the New International Version. That God has called us to peace. Doesn't mean that there's going to be peace in our world because there's far too much evil for that. And evil is not about peace. Once in a while, they're about peace when they're about deceit. Because sometimes they put a shiny face on what they're doing behind the scenes. But Satan cannot hide his ways for long. He is only about stealing, killing, destroying, and deceiving. This is what Satan is about. And there's nothing about peace in there. God instead has come that we might have life and light. And not just life, but life abundantly, John 10.10 says. So then what is our course of action in this? Psalm 1 verse 2 says, Blessed is the man whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. And it's repeated throughout the Psalms that David says he is meditating on the law of the Lord at night, is meditating on the law of the Lord during the day. But sometimes he is sleepless because he is meditating on the law of the Lord, or what we would call today the Scripture. That by this Holy Scripture, we can know God. We have to surrender our life to Jesus Christ and invite him to come in and take up residency in us. But then so much more so do we know God from this Holy Spirit, yes, and his scripture. This scripture is the testimony of God's story to man. And we know more and more and more about our God when we read his scripture more and more and more. And this scripture, unlike any other book on earth, is not the same each time you read it. Yes, it has the same printed word, but because of how the Holy Spirit works in us, there is a newness, there is a freshness, there is a created desire. Revelations. God is speaking through his word to his people when we read it with a seeking heart. 
when we read it with a prayerful heart, Lord, please reveal to me in your word. Please speak to me through your word. And we have, <clears throat> excuse me, we humble ourselves before the Lord. This is the posture that God wants us to have when we approach him. Do I always do that? No. But when I do, more often than not, I feel God speaking through his word because the posture is set. Because I'm not coming to it on my own volition or my own will, my own strength. I'm seeking to learn from my God. Let's back up one verse here as we close with this. Still from Psalm 1. And what do we read here? Let's read it in Genesis chapter 13 first. Starting in verse 12, Abram settled in the land of Canaan, while Lot settled among the cities of the valley and moved his tent as far as Sodom. Now the men of Sodom were wicked, great sinners against the Lord. I don't, I can't tell you with 100% affirmation that as Lot entered the city that he knew that these men were great sinners against the Lord and that the culture in Sodom had become so wicked that it was infamous, but that's possible. And if you have a choice where to make your home, if you have a choice where to plant your feet, if you have a choice where to go to work, if you have a choice what to do on the computer at home, where are you pitching your tent? Let's now look at Psalm 1, verse 1. Most of you will probably be familiar with this psalm. It says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but, verse 2, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So my question is, did Lot know where he was choosing to settle? I think there's two ways to look at this. And one we see right here vividly in Psalm 1 at the very beginning. Psalm 1, verse 1. That if there is great evil about, if there is wickedness about, do not have anything to do with it. Walk away. Walk away. Flee. Flee temptation. Flee wickedness. We are called to be holy and set apart to be out of this world, to be called out of this world. Not to live in this world. We'll read later. What did he do to Sodom and Gomorrah? He destroyed them with fire from heaven. And it consumed all the inhabitants of the city because they were so wicked. That's how bad it had got in Sodom and Gomorrah. And then perhaps there is another way. The lot chose to pitch his tent so close to a sinner, a, a city of sinners. Perhaps it was to preach the gospel, to proclaim God's greatness to 
sinners. We don't know that. And I don't have any example in scripture of that. So I would lean back towards the former. The other thing about temptation and about wickedness and great evil is you better have a crew of very strong Christians with you, and you better be very strong yourself in the Lord if you're going to approach people who are great in wickedness to try to preach the gospel to them. If they are wickedly great in an area where you are weak with temptation, then you flee that. You don't even get close. Never. But if it's not an area where you are weak spiritually, then you still don't go by yourself. You still bring other people who are also strong with you. And then you go and preach the gospel if the Lord has called you to go and preach the gospel because God wants his name to be proclaimed throughout all the earth, to keep going, to fill the earth, fill the earth, fill the earth. And then what does it say? Be fruitful. Show God's righteousness to the world. Show God's gospel to the world. Preach it. Be a leader in God's great kingdom and preach the gospel. And lead with gentleness and respect. But lead in faith. And lead in trust. And lead in confidence in the Lord. Our confidence and our salvation and our faith comes because our Lord has given it to us. When God has called us out from this world, he calls and we respond, and that's how it works. God calls and we respond. The Holy Spirit is living and active. God's word is living and active because our God is living and active. And God wants to have a personal relationship with you that will change your life forever. This is what he wants. My question is, are you complacent? Are you really happy? Are you okay with the things of this world? Are you okay with the message of this world? Are you okay with the confusion of this world and the chaos of this world and all the gender crap of this world? And all the radical ideas of this world? Because a lot of those are just a work of Satan to distract, demean, divide, and conquer. And God says, I am the only one who can save you from all that. And Jesus came to die on a cross and rise from the grave to give any of us the free gift of salvation if we would just surrender. And worship him. And that offer, that invitation is still open while it's still called today. Let's pray. Our loving God, the one who sees us and knows us, the one who sees us and you see when we're weak and you see when we're strong. You see when we do bad things and you see when we do good. You see, when it's all just thoughts in our mind, bad, good. 
of this world or of your kingdom. You are the great leader, God. You lead all of us. You are our creator. You are our sustainer. You are our savior. You are the king of kings and lord of lords. And you are the same yesterday and today and forever. And you have a plan and you are building your kingdom and you want us in it. And you reach down your hand and you have given us dominion so that we can participate in your kingdom, so that we can participate right now, today, in doing what you're doing and proclaiming your gospel, proclaiming your greatness, proclaiming your glory to this world. And largely that is done in love. And it must be done in love, or like Paul said, we're just someone else making noise. Or a musical instrument, clanging gong, or cymbal. Let that not be so for the God who is so intentional, so directional, so driven, and so purpose-filled. Let us too be transformed by the love of our God to step into the role of leadership that you have called each one of us to, and that looks a little bit different for each one of us. But to have confidence in our Lord, to know your word, and to share your love with this world. And we can do this all in the power of our God. Pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Join me next time as we continue in Genesis 14.